please turn your Bibles to the Old Testament book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 40 is where we're going to be at today. Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 40. We're in a mini-series. We just concluded the long series on the book of Exodus, and we're in a mini-series just before the Lenten season that begins in a couple weeks. And uh, the series is on ministry calling. And Pastor Adam told his story of being called into ministry last week. And today, I'd like to tell you my story. When I was six years old, I gave my life, I trusted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. On December 21st, 1969, I was at a children's Sunday school Christmas party. And a missionary was there, his name was Ron, and he told the story of Jesus Christ, what he said, born on a Christmas day, because God loved us so that he sent his son, born on a Christmas day, to live and then to die on the cross for the forgiveness of sins, and he rose again from the dead making a way for us to go to heaven. And that missionary said, if, if you believe this and you want to trust Jesus with your life, raise your hand. And so I did. And he called us into the middle of the room. There was, I think, about five of us. And he put his arms around us in this pretty big room in this house. And he prayed for us. And that was the day that I came to know Jesus. I, I grew in my relationship with Jesus in that church. And I was a pretty average, I was a pretty average boy. Um, school and friends and sports. But looking back on my life, looking back on my life, I always thought, I don't have what it takes. I always thought I don't have what it takes to be really the best or excellent or, or, or good at something. I didn't have what it takes to be good in school. Um, I didn't really like school. Um, I struggled with studying. I was an above average student, average to above average, just C's and B's, occasional A but I just never really felt like I had what it took to be an excellent student. I loved sports, and I worked out on my own, my dad guiding me in, in some sports and uh, really putting some strict practice schedules in my life. And I was pretty good in some sports, but um, I just didn't have what it took to, to be really good. I never was the most valuable player. I never was on a team that won the championship or a tournament. I made an all-tournament team one time my junior year in high school. I didn't have what it took to be really good in sports or in school. I had some friends, and they were pretty good friends, but I just, I was like a latent extrovert. You know, I was a shy kid, but I wanted a lot of friends. And uh, when it came to relationships with girls, 
I just never believed I had what it took to be a, a, a desirable guy. Most days I was just tried hard, and um, I never could get where I wanted to be. And so I was pretty discouraged and, and pretty, um, pretty depressed sometimes as a child. When I was 17, I started going to a new church, and I uh, met a man, and um, he took me under his wing and discipled me. He mentored me, and um, it changed my life. Um, he had a couple boys, three boys, and one of the boys is a man, and he's a member, a leader here at Nova. Uh, the man's name was Dave Tibble, and he mentored me, and he took care of me. He showed me who Jesus is, and he taught me to be a man, and it changed my life. I was going to a small group that he was leading. I was about 18 years old, and he said, I want you to help me lead this group. And I was like, all right. And so I did, and he trained me and taught me. And then about two weeks in, he said, uh, this is your group now. I'm going to go on and start another group. And I was, I was like, all right. And... Uh, I was 18, the youngest in the group. There were 20-year-olds and 30-year-olds and 40-year-olds in that group. And I'll tell you what, if I was one of those, I would look at me and say, I'm out of here. I'm going to find another group. I mean, that, it was just that way. But everyone stayed, and we grew. We grew to about 35 people. Dave was coaching me all the way. He said, appoint two other leaders to help you. When that group grows to about 35, then you grab about 15 and go and start another group and let them do their thing. And so we just did that over and over and over again. I remember leading a group, and there were about 50 people in this group. We were meeting in a big house in Manhattan Beach, and we were, it was like a sunken living room, you know, that old-style house, a tri-level sort of a deal. And I was on the bottom, and uh, then there were people on that second level, and then there were people on the second floor. I remember looking up, and there were people just standing at the, at the railing, or their feet were dangling over the edge, and they were just looking down and participating in that group. And those groups were the same as our groups today. They're sermon-based groups. They, we would listen to the sermon on Sunday, and then we'd meet on Wednesday. It was always Wednesday we would meet for some reason. And uh, we'd meet on Wednesday, and we would talk about the Scripture, and we would talk about how that, how that sermon applied to our lives. It was a pretty great time. And I didn't think I was doing all that good, but I was just doing what they told me to do, and groups were growing, and we'd start them, we probably started four or five groups in a year um, in, in those times. Um, but all along, when I was talking to my mentor, and I told him, you know, I just don't feel like I have what it takes, he would tell me, you don't have what it takes. It's true, but God will do great things through you. God was teaching me to be a developer of leaders and teaching me to um, not make it about me and to promote other people. During summer break in college, I was in college at that time, I directed camps for the physically and developmentally disabled in Yosemite. And God taught me to be a servant. We would take, uh, we'd live in Yosemite Valley at a campsite called North Pines Group Camp, tent camping. And 
uh, adults in wheelchairs and developmentally adults who were ambulatory, they could walk, would come and, and we'd have camps, a week-long camp. We did that all summer for three months for two summers. But in the last uh, summer I was done, I, I didn't know I, that was going to be my last summer. I came back and, um, and I was just thinking about what God was teaching me. And he was teaching me to be a servant. These were people who could not sometimes talk for themselves. They could not feed themselves, some of them. They could not dress themselves. They could not go to the bathroom themselves. Uh, we did everything for them. And God, he, he, he really instilled in me what it means to be a servant. In Matthew chapter 20, verse 26, I think, Jesus says, if you want to be great in God's kingdom, learn to be the servant of all. And after that last week of Yosemite camps, we came back and I went to a Sunday worship service and afterwards a bunch of friends said, hey, let's go to the kettle for breakfast. I said, uh, I think I'm going to pass because school starts for me tomorrow. It's my third year in the fall semester. First class has started on Monday. And I wasn't feeling great. I was kind of tired from camp and I went home and I just started to feel more and more uneasy. It wasn't anxiety, and it wasn't depression. I just didn't feel right. And it, I could describe it to you as anxiety, but it really wasn't. Um, I was upset about something, and then it kind of came to, I think God's trying to tell me something, but I don't know what it is. So I read my Bible, and I prayed, and I really felt like God was trying to communicate something to me, but nothing in the scripture, although that's God's word, nothing was like, this is it, and I just kept on feeling more and more uneasy. Um, I read and I prayed more, but I, I couldn't, that feeling wouldn't go away. It, it was sort of like, I don't know if you've ever felt this before, but you're talking to someone and you know what you're going to say, and then suddenly you forget what you're going to say, and you're like, uh, uh, in that uneasy feeling, that's the way I felt for hours in that day. And it, it, it was almost feeling like torture after a while. Or like when you're thinking, well, I'm going to go to the garage and, and get that thing. And then you go to the garage and you're thinking, what am I here for? I mean, maybe I'm just an old man and it happens a lot. That, that probably is. But I was young back then. I was about 21 years old. So I started calling friends. And I started, I had this idea, I'm going to call my close friends and I'm going to ask them, did God tell you something to tell me? And each friend said, are you okay? <laughs> and they said, I got nothing for you. So that didn't work. And I just kept feeling this way and it's starting to build more and more. But it really wasn't a feeling. It was something else. And I, I can't even describe it to you. Finally, I thought, because I was exhausted, it was nighttime now, if I just go to sleep, I'll go to sleep, and I'll wake up in the morning, and maybe it'll be all gone. And so, I tried to go to sleep, because I was exhausted, but I couldn't now. Now I couldn't go to sleep. And then I thought, well, if I just go to sleep, maybe I'll have a dream, and God will speak to me in that dream, which was kind of crazy, but I couldn't go to sleep. And I was just, I felt like torture. So about two or three in the morning, 
think it was more like 3 in the morning. I had to go to school now. That was Monday morning, early. I, I was exhausted. I couldn't get it. I still had this feeling it was building. And so I just laid flat on my bed, stomach down. And I don't usually sleep on my stomach, but I just face in the, in the bed. And I was, I was at my end. And I said to God, God, I'll go wherever you want me to go. God, I'll do whatever you want me to do. And God, I'll work with whoever, whomever you want me to work with. And in that moment that I said that, and I hesitate to tell you this because this is the only time I've had something like this. I said, God, I'll go wherever you want me to go. I'll work with whoever you want me to work with. And I'll do whatever you want me to do. And in my mind, I had this picture, but it was a video. And we didn't have that video language back then. It was just a moving picture. And it was, best way I can describe it to you, is it was like this hand with a hook on it and this hand with a hook on it. And they came together. It wasn't hands. It was metal, heavy iron metal. And they came together, and then they hooked in. And it was very interesting. Two objects coming together like that, and they hit, and then they'd hook in. And as soon as I saw that, I fell asleep. I woke up about three hours later when the sun came up, and I felt fine. Um, It was just a regular day. I felt rested. I only had three hours sleep, but it felt like I had eight hours sleep. I got up. I read my Bible. I was led to Isaiah chapter 40. I got my car, went to school, did my classes, and did my classes that whole first week in school. And I was, I was, doing, I was doing great. I was, everything was fine. But it was always like, what happened back then? And why did all that take place? The next weekend, I was going to go visit some good friends um, up three hours north of here in a town called Lompoc near Solvang. And I had some good friends there, so we went over there. But before that, I talked to my mentor about this, and Dave said, I remember him just kind of kind of going like this, and he said, okay, don't tell many people about this. So, you know, I have not really shared this. I've never shared it in a sermon like I'm sharing it with you today. But I went uh, up north to visit my friends. We had a good time. They were good friends. And I told a couple of them, two of them, that story. And they were like, wow, that's weird. And so we having a good weekend, and then we went to their church. And we showed up a little late because we stayed up late the night before talking and doing whatever, you know. Showed up late. We all wanted to sit together. There was a group of us, but the only seat was in the front row. And so we walked up to the front row and sat there. And the service was going on, and, and, and you know, it wasn't... Uh, you know, it wasn't my church, so it wasn't really all that remarkable. And they had music and, you know, all the things you do in a worship service. And then the pastor came up, and he was an old guy, and he was preaching a sermon, and I wasn't paying attention. It, it, I don't recommend not paying attention, okay? So <laughs> I wasn't paying attention. But towards the end of that sermon, we're, we're sitting in the front row, and he leans over his pulpit like this. And I don't know what he's saying before, but he leans over, and he looks right at me. And he points his finger at me. 
and he says, it's just like, and I don't know what he said before, so I wasn't paying attention, but all I remember is he points his finger at me, and he says, it's just like when those freight trains come together at Halama Beach, and he gets his hands, and he goes like this, and he goes, it's solid, it won't break apart. And I didn't even know what he said before, so it, but that was what I saw in the dream, and it looked sort of like this. This is what I saw when I was laying on my bed face down. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> That's my ministry calling story. Um, and really what it comes down to is what I've learned in 37 years of vocational ministry. That Dean, you don't have what it takes. And God is saying, but I do. God says, Dean, you don't have what it takes. I told you that early on when you were a boy. But God is saying, I do. And I'm going to bring everything together, God says, and it'll be strong and it'll be solid. Because I'm going to bring everything together. Like a, what I've come to know is this is a railroad car coupler right here. Interesting, isn't it? Isaiah chapter 40, verse 1. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries, in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill will be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades. When the breath of the Lord blows on it, surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of, the, of our God will stand forever. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, the servant is with him, and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are young or with young. Verse 28. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, 
and young men shall, shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. This is the word of the Lord. In Isaiah 40, we get this description of who God is, and it's one facet of a multifaceted description of who God is. It's pretty dramatic in the way of describing God, sort of like make way and, and he's coming and there's a voice in the wilderness. And so I, I look at this passage of scripture, especially in the first 11 verses of the idea of it's preparing for the one who is coming. And so three questions today. The first is, who is coming? Who is coming? It says in verse 3, a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. And then it says every valley shall be filled up and every mountain will be laid low. And the uneven ground will become level and the rough places will become a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And the flesh shall see it together and the mouth of the Lord has spoken. In ancient times, they knew in the ancient people knew that anyone who hears these words knows that royalty is coming. The king is coming. Because when royalty comes to a new region of a kingdom, they would not use regular roads. They wouldn't just use regular trails. They would build new ones. They would, they would just reconstruct roads and byways and freeways. And thousands of years later, Luke writes this in Luke chapter 3. He says, all of this is written in the book of Isaiah in Luke chapter 3, verse 4. He says, the voice of the one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. He's speaking of the king. Make straight paths for him, and every valley is going to be filled in. Every mountain hill and hill will be made low. The crooked roads, he says, will be made straight. And the rough ways will be made smooth. And all the people will see God's salvation. He's speaking of a king coming into town. And the building of new ways and new roads was symbolic of what kingship is all about. It symbolizes the authority of the king by bridging gaps and valleys. And it also represents the healing influence of the kingship. Everyone knows that when a team gets a really good coach, that team starts to win. And everyone knows, and maybe you've experienced it, I, I've seen it, when a church is hurting and unhealthy, and they're in transition, like they don't have a pastor, and then that church becomes healthier, and then they appoint, they call a new pastor, that church just flourishes, and it just takes off. And that's why here at Nova, we know that about leadership. That's why here at Nova, we pour into leaders. We equip and train ministry leaders. Tonight, we'll gather as the leadership collective, despite whatever the news says about rain and wind and all that. We're going to be here. We're going to gather and we're going to cast vision 
We're going to talk about important things. We're going to pray together. We're going to worship together. We're going to eat together. Because that's what happens when leadership is flourishing. Everybody wins in that case. When, when healthy leadership is exercised, it's like rain on dry grass. There is healing and flourishing and new growth. In Isaiah chapter 40, verses 3 through 5, you get that sense of what's going on. The ultimate king brings ultimate healing. And when human kings come, ah, there might be new roads. They might clean up a little homeless encampments and things like that when a king comes, right? But when the ultimate king comes, everything changes. Everything is new. And Isaiah is drawing on the deepest needs of the world at this time. The deepest hope of all the people around the world. Isaiah is saying, the whole world's a desert. It's a, it's a wilderness. And death and disease. And poverty and war. And brokenness of every kind exists. But when the ultimate king comes, there's going to be ultimate and complete healing. He's coming. The first question is, who's coming? It's the king. The second question we have today is, how is he coming? If you look at some historical context to Isaiah, we're in looking at chapter 40, but if you look at chapters 1 through 39, it's all about judgment and condemnation. It's all about justice that needs to take place. And you read Isaiah chapters 1 through 39, and it's all about the standards of this great king. Because the people at the time, they were oppressing the poor. There was racism and prejudice. There was greed and sexual immorality and not honoring marriage vows. There were people not caring for their family. And no one escapes judgment and condemnation of a righteous king. Because a righteous king comes to make things right. And at the end of chapter 39, Isaiah says an astounding thing. He says the king of Judah will be arrested and captured and moved to exile in Babylon. And people are wondering, now what? Now, I mean, we're already hurting. Now what's going to happen? And then in chapter 40, in verse 1, everything turns. In verse 1, Isaiah writes this. Comfort. 39 chapters of condemnation and judgment. And then in chapter 40, after the pronouncement of the king will be arrested and taken away, and the people are feeling insecure, but Isaiah writes, Comfort. Comfort my people. My people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. And cry, he says, proclaim to her that her warfare, this is about struggle, that her struggle is ended. Her iniquity, her sins are pardoned. And that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Now when you first read, right, the, at the end of verse 2 here, what does it sound like it's saying? Your hard struggle is over because God is making you pay or he's punishing you, what? Double, it seems, right? 
But this is not what it says. First, there's no place in the Bible that God punishes people double. No place. So what, the question is, what is the double, how is that being modified here? It says, she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. What is being modified is payment, not punishment. Let me say it again. What is being modified here is payment, not punishment. This would maybe be read this way. She has received from the Lord's hand a double payment for all her sins. God himself is providing the payment for sins. And that payment is double. Here's an example of this loving and caring and shepherding king's payment upon us. In verses 9 through 11 of Isaiah 40, it says, Go up on a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold the Lord God comes with might in his arm. Anytime you read arm, it's his power. And his power rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms and he will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Now, recompense is not a word that we typically use in our everyday language. It's, it has its, its idea of compensation, recompense. It's compensation or reward given for loss or harm or effort made. Reward? Whose reward is this? Is it our reward? No, it's not us. It's his reward, if you look at the scripture. It's his recompense. So, if it's God's reward, what kind of reward would God want or need? Nothing, right? I mean, if it's his recompense, it, like, what do you get the guy who has everything, right? What do, you, what do you do? And the answer to this, his reward, is it's his flock, his lambs. It's us. In this, God is saying, no matter what happens, you are my people. For my disciples, you live in this world, and this world will be difficult. There will be difficult times. But I'm with you to the very end. For you are my reward. So who's coming? It's the king. How will he come? Well, he's going to come with strength. He's the ultimate king. He's going to come with healing. Number three, how do we respond? In verse 28 through 31, it's this beautiful passage that we, we're pretty familiar with. Verse 31, But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. So the answer to how do we respond? We respond, we, we respond with Wait. And wait is not passive, it's active here. Wait means first obey. You're not responding to him 
You need to respond to him as king. And you're not responding to him as king if you say, it's my will or my way. Instead, you need to respond to the king through obedience by saying, your way, your will. That's what it means to wait. The second thing it means to wait is to relax. Wait means I need to accept the fact that you're in control, God. You know what's best for me at the best time. You need to, you are the one who says, I've got your best interest in mind, and I need to put an end to worry and to fear in my life. So waiting means obey. It means relax. And the third is this, to expect, to hope. If it's really true that the kingship of God is a healing influence on my life, I'm going to trust him in all things. And if I wait, what will happen? Well, it says in the scripture that strength will be renewed. And then in verse 31, it says, you're going to soar like an eagle, you're going to run, and you're, then you're going to walk. And I think this is such a strange order, to soar, to run, and then to walk. Because if I were to write this as Isaiah, I would want to write with, let's walk first. And then after you get used to walking, we'll run a little. And then when you run really good, then you're going to soar. But it's opposite. So why is this opposite? Because walking is the point. The point is sometimes you'll soar, but not all the time. And sometimes you'll run, but not all the time. But you'll always walk with Jesus. You know, God said to me, Dean, you don't have what it takes. And he told me that since I was young. You don't have it, what it takes to be best. You don't have what it takes to be great. But God said to me, if you trust me, I'm going to pull everything together and it'll be strong and it'll be solid and nothing will break that apart. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases their strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength and they shall mount up with wings as eagles, and they shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. Amen.